Hello, I'm Michelle Tassinari, your host for the California Staffing Professionals Visionary Thinkers Podcast, a series promoting excellence in the staffing and recruiting industry. In this podcast, we meet visionary thinkers and talk with them about their career and journey into staffing and recruiting. Along the way, we learn everything from how they started to where they are now. We uncover what inspired them and who helped them along the way. We dive into what challenges they've overcome and gain insight into how to be successful in the staffing and recruiting industry. I know you'll enjoy listening to these inspiring stories. Thank you for joining us. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. Eric Armstrong is the president of Novum Group and a co-founder of IBDG Solutions. Novum Group has been in business for nearly three decades and is one of the oldest single-site recruiting firms in the country that places mid- to high-level professionals in finance. The niches Novum Group covers are wealth management, commercial banking, investment banking, institutional sales, and real estate law. IBDG Solutions is a consulting company for banks and credit unions that offer consulting services specifically relating to their wealth management platforms. Well, thank you for joining us on Visionary Thinkers podcast. Today, we're having Eric Armstrong join us, and Eric is the co-founder and president of Novum Group and IDBG Solutions. So, Eric, we have a lot of questions for you. We're hoping that you can kind of share what made you so successful. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Um, for inviting me. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your life before staffing and recruiting, you know, where you came from and, you know, how you ended up here in California? Sure. Yeah, I actually uh, sought this out. Unlike a lot of people, I hear so many stories about they, you know, they they accidentally found it, which I think are are tremendous stories. I graduated from college. Uh, I went in the Marine Corps right after school. Uh, served, and right after the Marine Corps, I went into corporate America, entered straight into corporate America, working for a huge company, international global firm called Peter Kiewit, and I was in their international marketing division, and I did that for two years, and it was an amazing experience, and it was an extremely frustrating experience. What I learned from that is that I'm not designed for corporate America. The work was tremendous. The politics of corporate America was something that I found very frustrating. And for me, it became an issue of uh, if I wanted to, I I wanted to find something that was a direct, that had a direct correlation between effort and pay and was quicker. So what I found in corporate America that was so frustrating was there were, say, five of us that did the job that I did at the time on the international marketing group. And I worked harder than anybody else. I put in more time. I put in more effort. I put in more, you know, uh, more research. I I did the extra things to make myself really good at my job. But I got paid the same as the other four. Did not matter. I mean, it, it was a good pay, but it was the same. And I found that to be very frustrating. So I actually sought out an opportunity to 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 find an industry that 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 directly rewarded efforts and hard work. And uh, I thought about uh, buying franchises. I, I had saved up some money in that two years because I was, I was traveling all the time and I, and I wasn't actually spending a lot of money as a young man then, didn't have a lot of bills. So I looked at buying a franchise. I, I looked at uh, mailboxes, et cetera. I looked at other things like that. And then 
in my research, I found this interesting business I knew nothing about, which was executive search. And so I started researching that and found that the capital requirements for it were little to none, actually, and, and started interviewing with companies that were bigger at the time, bigger executive search firms. And uh, I interviewed with several, and I picked one that I thought would be a great place for me to learn the business. And so I kind of did a reverse track on this compared to a lot of people that I, that I talked to. I, I actually <laughs> sought this business out because I found it interesting and then found a place that offered really good coaching and mentorship, what I thought was going to be good coaching and, and the mentorship. And that's what got me into the industry. Wow. And you are, you did reverse this because you're the first person I know that actually sought out, you're right, the first person that I've interviewed that has sought out recruiting as a possible career. Usually it kind of seeks them. And uh, that is awesome. And as far as uh, things you learn in your first recruiting job, I mean, did you start off as an actual recruiter or did you start off in sales? Was it a blended desk? I'm just curious about that. I've always been on the permanent placement side. I, I've always been on the executive search side and I've always been in the financial side. So I my, my background was economics. I studied economics at the University of California, San Diego. The international marketing job that I had with Peter Kiewit was, was very heavy on the financial side. So that was kind of something that was already in my DNA, and uh, it was something that the owner of the executive search firm that I worked for obviously wanted to take advantage of. So he threw me right into the financial markets, and uh, that's that's where I started. The things that I learned in that first year was I, I was ill-prepared for the significant levels of disappointment that a driving personality was going to experience going into that. I had, I played sports uh, through college. That's what made me go to college in the first place, frankly. I worked, I always found that working hard would produce really good results relatively quickly, with one exception. And that was this business. <laughs> it just did not happen fast for me. And it, I, I ended up in a position where I really didn't like what I was doing. It took me seven months to close my first deal. I don't even know how I was not fired. But other than the fact that I probably just was out working, there were 30 people in this, in this executive search firm. And I was that guy that was first in, last out. And that's probably the only thing that saved me. But... Yeah, seven months. And then I closed my first deal, and the guy took a counteroffer. My first deal in the business, no. the guy took a counteroffer. Oh, yeah. Oh. And so here's my, so here's my experience so far. It, I, I'm making very little money and super frustrated because it's not coming very quickly at all. The first deal that closes was, uh, was at seven months. So this was my thinking at seven months was I was going to quit. So, but what I was going to do was quit on my terms. So I mentally prepared myself. This is it. I'm not doing this. I'm going back. I'm going to do something else. So, but I'm quitting, but I'm going to quit on my terms. I've got some deals that I'm working on. I'm going to close a few of these deals. I'm going to make a little bit of money. I'll get a commission check maybe because it was a draw against commission situation and my draw was obviously piling up. And, and then I'm going to walk into my boss's office and tell him this is not for me. So that was my plan at month seven after my first deal fell apart. I thought, this is a sign. <laughs> this is a sign. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be doing this. So that was my plan. And 
what happened was a game changer for the rest of my life. So seven months to close my first deal, first deal falls off. From my second deal to the end of my 13th month, I closed $180,000 in deals, $180,000, which was at that time when you're talking about average fees, probably eleven to $12,000. I mean, our average fee today is, is almost $40,000 to give you a comparison. My average fee back then was about eleven dollars or $12,000. I closed $180,000 between my seventh month and my 13th month, that six-month stretch. And at that point, I was in. I completely reversed my, my attitude towards it. Things started clicking. Obviously, I didn't quit. I'm still doing it now 28 years later, and I'm having a lot of fun. Well, that's right, because you're going to quit on your terms. So you haven't, your terms right. haven't been met yet. So there. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> right. Thank you. Oh, so your big success was when you you, you hit your stride then, uh, that second deal. So you hung in there in that second deal. Yeah. Uh, was there anyone that was mentoring you or teaching you along the way? I mean, did you have that or was it you internally? I mean, I, I know you, you picked a firm that would help you with that, but or you thought that they would. Did that have any part of that or how did you how did you get your was it just sheer determination inside? Determination was part of it. I find if if you don't have mentors, boy is it does it make a, a business that's already tough a lot tougher. You can certainly do it. But my mentors that I had when I first started are still mentors for me today. These are people with names like Gary Adams, Todd Dawson, Les Zanotti. I would, Les and I have been retired for many, many years. Todd's semi-retired, Gary's semi-retired now too, but I can still pick up the phone anytime and, and call those guys and, and talk to them. Carrie uh, Winslow. Uh, I, I literally could name several. Gloria Breeze. These are, these are people that are the reason that I'm in this business today. It is because of them, because of those conversations I would have at lunch or uh, after hours and frankly, some of the tough love that needed to be, you know, and it, and it was often, <laughs> it was often a lot of tough love, but um, no, the mentorship program, the mentors that I chose uh, very purposely were instrumental for me uh, and, uh, and when are the reason that I was able to, to get past, you know, that those first, frankly, not just year, that first year, but really the first five years. Well, it's excellent. You've got a chance to mention all of them. I mean, and I'm sure there's a few more that you can, but, but yeah. that's great. You had a lot of mentors and that's, that's great that you listened to their tough love and you, and you took it and you, you did something great with it. Now, fast forward, and although it wasn't very fast, was it? It was a very hard first year for sure. When did you decide that you were going to become a co-founder? and become president of the Novum Group. Did you just wake up one day or, or did you did you build that? I mean, a lot of people don't know name, don't know you. Our listeners, you know, may not know how you came to be. So how did that happen? Actually I think it's a a really interesting point to, to people that are in the position that, that a lot of us are in now is as owners uh, or managers. So I had zero interest in business ownership. I, I just I didn't think that that was ever going to be a strength of mine. And, and for the purpose of uh, this conversation, it still is not. Like the, the parts of the job that I excel at have really nothing to do with running a company, even though we're very successful. 
I have good people around me that that make up for what I don't have in those skill sets. I'm a deal maker. I, I love the art of the deal. I love the, the nuances involved with fee negotiations and salary negotiations and deal management and client experiences and candidate experiences, the whole thing. I'm really good at that stuff. But when it comes to running a firm or being a business owner, that really honestly doesn't interest me that much, and it's not that much fun, to be frank. So I had no interest in being a business owner. After five years, I went to the owner of, uh, of my company. His name was Les Zanotti, a fantastic man who I, who I loved dearly and still do to this day, considered him a father figure. And I was a very driven young person. I had big goals for my life. Uh, and I approached him with those. And I said, I don't want to leave you. I want to be here. This is where I want to work. But I'm not interested in being a wealthy senior recruiter only. I want to be part of the decision making of this company. I want to have a path. I want to have I want to have a, a ladder that I can climb. And you don't have one of those in your company now. Is that something that we can talk about? And he said, No. <laughs> I, I, I love that he did it. I mean, because he was he didn't try to. He I was not going to put him in a box. That just wasn't him. He he said you are going to be a very wealthy senior recruiter if you stay here. And, but he said, no, there, there's not a path, you know, for you to do anything else other than that. He said, but that is actually a really good thing, and you're great at it. And he gave me a nice, you know, 10-minute little, um, you know, pep talk. And he kind of laid out what the plans were because I asked him. I said, well, what is the plan? And he said, Todd Dawson is, is likely going to be the person that will take over this company. And, and that's already been talked about, and, and so whatever – your path is beyond that with Todd would be with Todd. And I, I told him, I'm going to think about it. And I did. I came back about two weeks later and I said that I got to make a change and, and what, what do we need to do to make this so it has no impact on, on our relationship. And we worked out a deal. I bought my database. I basically bought my system from him, my, uh, my stuff. And uh, that's when I went out on my own. Just like that. Um, and it sounds like they were very supportive of you too in, in doing that. And you've, because you've, you've kept all your relationships with them and you, you speak so highly of them. And I think, I think that's one of the things that is, is just a very important in our industry is all the good professionals lift each other up and they don't necessarily think about competition as much as they think about being good at what they do and helping each other. Did you go in a different niche or did you, I mean, you, you stayed obviously in, in the financial sector. So did you change a niche? Did you, did you decide to specialize or just keep going where you, where you already were? Well, I, I wasn't going to start over. So, and, and the reason that we, that I'm able to keep those relationships was because of my approach. I mean, I, uh, anytime a, a person uh, that, is, that quits or resigns, we deal with it every day in our business, obviously. You know, my approach was, I think, what made the difference. I, I told him that I didn't want to do anything to hurt, you know, his company or him. But at the same time, you know, the, my, my goals and aspirations didn't match at that point in my career. I was in my late 20s, still young, and driving my business at that point. And so I really want to reiterate how important I think it was my, that I approached him the way that I did. I made all the difference in the world, and I bought my stuff. I mean, I didn't take anything. I bought it. So he, he and I agreed to a term, which, I, of course, I didn't have that. So 
I gave him what I could give him in terms of cash, and then I just made monthly payments. And he's such a great person that this is a true story, and I just want to bring it out there because I, I rarely talk about this with Les, about Les, but about a year probably less than a year into my, my new company, and I'm making these monthly payments to, to Les for buying my database basically from him. He stopped cashing my checks after, like, I think nine or ten checks that I had sent him. He literally just stopped cashing my checks. So I called him up one day, and I said, you know, how come you're not cashing my checks anymore? And, and he goes, oh, he said, we're good, Eric. He said, don't worry about it. And I go, what are you talking about? He says, no, I said, honestly, he goes, <laughs> he goes I wasn't even expecting you to send me any <laughs> Because I, did, I didn't really didn't know what you were going to do. He said, I've never had anybody come to me and say they want to buy their information. And uh, he said, so I, I just appreciate that, that you, you approached it so honestly the way you did. And I appreciate that you've been sending me these checks. I don't know how, you know, if you've, if you've been struggling or not. But he said, you send those checks every month. And he goes, nah, consider it good. You know, we're, you know you're, you're paid in full. And I bring that into the conversation because, those are the types of things that I think I learned the most from as it, as it relates to being a leader in a company. It, it doesn't always have to be black and white or green dollars that drive everything that we do in companies. The relationships are so important with the people that are, that you work with every single day. And I learned so much from him about not only, you know, how to be an effective leader, you know, what to do, but what not to do as well. And, and I, I just wanted to share that one story with you because it, it just, it was an amazing thing for me. And then I'll carry on with your, with your question. Yes, I, I did continue in the niche that I was in, which was commercial banking. I did that. Uh, I did that for probably um, 10 years before I started branching out. And today we actually have, we actually cover five different niches all within the financial sector. So we have five different departments, basically, one of which is commercial banking. Uh, we have a wealth management group. We have a capital markets group, which is kind of investment banking. We have an institutional sales group, which is kind of part of investment banking. And then we have real estate law. So we place lawyers, but again, very specific, not generalist, in any one of those things. So each one of those niches is a very specialized you know, group. In commercial banking, it's really like three people that we place. That's it. And in law with lawyers, it's really just one person, like uh, public finance lawyers that, that we place. So it's very niche driven. And it sounds like that's been really working with, you know, for you, the, the niche, picking a niche. That's one of the hardest things for anyone in the industry to do, to pick a niche and to stick with it. But you kept adding to it. it Do you keep adding? your niches or growing your niches to the five you have because of successes or was it because of referrals or how did you end up opening up your niches? Well, for me, I'm always, and I think a lot of us, I'm just, I'm always kind of paying attention to what's going on in the industry and trends. And then, then you kind of couple that with, uh, with opportunistic hiring. So we got into wealth management and by the way, a, a quick side note on that, that probably saved my company. I may not be here today talking to you had I not diversified in 2006. So think about where I was at in 2006. 95% of my revenue was coming from commercial banks, 95%. Maybe 5% was coming from outside of that, that space, but not very much. So 2006, 
I hire uh, Steve Watt. Steve Watt is a former financial advisor, and I put him into a commercial banking desk like he I teach in the business, and, and I tell him, by the way, take, take advantage of your, your knowledge. You know, you know this wealth management stuff. You used to be a financial advisor. I know these banks have financial advisors, so start talking to them. Start talking to those guys and see if there's something there, right? Don't spend a ton of your time on it, but take maybe 20% of your time, and let's see if there's something there. So he did that, and we found out that, in fact, there was. So we, we got our first client, which was then Wachovia Securities, turned out to be a huge client of ours. They're no longer around. They didn't survive 2008, but... But that's how that niche was born, was hiring a guy that used to be a financial advisor and just saying, hey, just explore this and see what happens. And then obviously I helped him when, when he started getting, you know, uh, openings and stuff, you know, stuff to help him qualify them. But the reason that, that that decision was so important, that 2006 decision was because in, at the end of 2007, in the, in the beginning of 2008, what happened? Literally. Every single client that we had went away. They either went out of business, and we're talking about $30 billion, $60 billion. Remember, this was a bad – that was a bad time for finance. I was right in the middle of that. So companies like a $35 billion M&I bank or a $50 billion LaSalle bank out of Chicago, they were gone overnight. They didn't survive. And these were our clients. These were companies that we were working with, Wachovia Bank was the company that we worked with. They didn't make it. And that was a $100 billion bank. So this was a crazy time. My commercial banking business literally shut off. And I had a, and at that time, I had 15 recruiters, um, and I had a huge payroll. And I had, and, and by the way, my rent was almost $100,000 a year. So I've got a $100,000 a year rent. I got a huge payroll that I'm covering. And all of my revenue went away. We literally switched in about a course of 60 days. We switched every single person that was on a commercial banking desk to the wealth management desk, and we survived. That was the only piece in the, the, of what we were doing that was still actually hiring. So we ended up not having to fire anybody. Um, we didn't have to lay anybody off, and we actually, we didn't, our revenue didn't necessarily go up, but it didn't go down. Very interesting story. That was very you you absolutely took advantage of a of a smart decision to diversify and and take someone else's uh, talents and build on them that's for sure and it looked like you were it sounded like you were keeping your mind open to new things and that you basically took a chance i mean plain and simple right you took a chance i didn't hear that you'd done a lot of research on the market it sounds like you kind of you saw a talented person who knew the market and let them take their talents and that's really good wisdom for today. Um, you know, we're, anyone that's listening in the 2020-2021 timeframe will probably really appreciate that because we're going through some tumultuous times right now. You went through some tumultuous times in, uh, in, the, in the, the Great Recession period of 2007-2008. Do you have any other bits of wisdom for people that are struggling that you know, the things you've learned from the industry early days to now that you definitely would impress upon someone who is thinking either I'm going to get into this industry or I'm going to get out of this industry or why am I in this industry or why am I considering this industry? Do you have any 
any words of wisdom for those listeners today? And that's a, that's a big chunk, isn't it, that I just threw at you there? <laughs> no, I do. It, you know, the, the, the patience part of, of what we need to, to have to be successful in this industry is often a trait that escapes, you know, type A people, which, you know, the industry does attract a lot of type A people. You, you tend to not be very patient. My lack of patience in the very beginning almost drove me out of the business that, that today is such a blessing for me and, and the people that I work with and my family and their families and their extended friends. I mean, it, this, is, this is a blessing. So the thing that I would impart on people, yes, the, the window, the, the curve to, to get really good at this is, is pretty long, but the reward is unlike almost anything else you can probably find out there. I have learned to embrace contentment, navigate conflict, and prioritize celebration. Those are the three things that I strive for every single day. Embrace contentment, embrace it. Navigate the conflict, prioritize celebration. Set a goal, do the work, and enjoy the ride. That's, you do those things, uh, you do those on, those things on a consistent basis. You're going to have a lot of fun in this industry. You're going to have a lot of successes in this industry. And, and I certainly tell everybody that I that I talk to today that we're very fortunate to to be in this business. We, I have had the the pleasure of experiencing multiple recessions in in my life, and because of the job that I have, I get to see. The, the real pain and suffering out there that I will never experience because of the path that I've chosen. And what I mean by that is the people that call us up and say, I just got let go. I've been working for this company for 10 years. What am I going to do? Or, you know, we're, we're going to be doing 20% layoffs. Am I the next one? I, I have these conversations with people in corporate world literally every week. And for me, not because I'm a business owner, but I've never, I have honestly never experienced that working for five years, working for somebody and working for myself literally uh, ever since then, because I always can work really hard and apply myself even more and, uh, and again, get through those recessions or those times that, that things are just different. So yeah, we're very blessed is my message uh, to, uh, to people out there that are, that are getting into this business to, to be in this industry. Well, and we've been really blessed uh, through the CSP uh, to have you join us and, and be part of the membership because you're you're one of those people that are always helping other people. And I think that's one of the best things about having a group that you identify with as well. A, a lot of a lot of people really respect you, Eric, for for all the things that you've done and, and the wisdom that you've just imparted today. I think you'll, you're going to get some. Some new respect for some people out there that, that didn't know you before this conversation. That is for sure. Your wisdom that you shared about really being upfront when it's time to leave, if, if you are going to leave to go someplace else or do something different, that was very, very good advice. As far as any other advice that you might have for folks that are struggling just in general in this business, could you say that one more time, What you what you said before, as far as setting goals, doing the work, enjoying the ride, embracing the contentment, navigating conflict, and what was it, that prioritizing celebration? How did, you, how did you get to that point? How did you 
How did you figure that out? Is that something wisdom that just came to you or that you just kind of learned it to people that you interacted with? No, I, I, I learned that over time because it, it, it were, those were things that were stopping me from really being happy. I mean, I, again, I, you get into the type A type people that are, that are, that tend to sometimes jump into this. And, and, you know, there was a time when I stopped celebrating deals because it just wasn't, it's another deal, whatever. Um, what a horrible place to be. I'll never forget that. But my wife had, one day she had said, how come we never, we used to do stuff when you close deals. And I go, yeah, this is, it's, it's another deal, right? I mean, it just, you know, and then when I started saying that to myself, that's when I started kind of saying, okay, wow, I've, I got to make some adjustments here. Uh, and I literally, th- those are the things that I made adjustments on. I got to embrace contentment. I'm, contentment is not a bad thing. Embrace it. Navigate the conflict. Prioritize celebration. Yes. Those things are, for me, the things that were preventing me from, I was always successful, but, but preventing me from being much happier with, with my success. And it just, it just made a big difference for me on a very, very personal level. So, I, yeah, if, if anybody else finds that they're in that same boat, I think, for me, that on a very personal level, that those were, those were game changers. That's awesome. Well, and, and you've been very successful. You've had a lot of people working for you. You've helped a lot of people grow their career. You've helped a lot of companies. And um, we're really very blessed that you could visit with us today for Visionary Thinkers. We really do appreciate you coming and talking with us and giving us all your wisdom and sharing so much about your how you came to be so successful. So thank you so much for joining us today, Eric. Really do appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, and thank you all for listening to us on Visionary Thinkers. Join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of CSP's Visionary Thinkers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed hearing our guest thinker story. If you'd like to hear more Visionary Thinkers reveal their journey through the staffing and recruiting industry, please subscribe via your favorite podcast source. And please tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. For more information about the California Staffing Professionals and how we can help you in your staffing and recruiting business, visit our website at cspnet.org. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. Until next time, this is your host, Michelle Tasneri, saying stay vital with CSP.